If you walk very long in this world, you might be tempted to believe that there is none trustworthy. That no matter what your best efforts are, they may nearly always come up short. If you walk very long in this world, you'll accumulate enough disappointment in people to start to think, well, either I, I, I can't trust a soul or perhaps you'll be driven to a compulsion to say, I will be a good person. If I can find no other that is a good person, then I will be that good person. And then that compulsion may compel you in the direction of some form of religion. So you may wind your way into a church or some other religious meeting place. And then after a little while, you may take great pride in saying, I at least am a good person. But it is neither a form of religion or our own inherent goodness that will, shall, ever could possibly put us in a place to merit the unmeritable, which is the favor of God that transforms us, not guiding us along slowly to become good people, but making us entirely new creations, acceptable to the Father because of His grace, covered in the blood of His Son so that when God looks to us, He looks through it, baptized in the Holy Spirit so that we might have a guide in this world to navigate its great difficulties. You see, the most perilous phrase I am convinced any church member has ever said to me in all these years of ministry was, I go to church to become a good person. It's perilous because it sounds true. God will make me a good person. Surely God likes good people. I read the account of a Hindu that said to a native missionary years ago in India, he said, um, I'm sure that if I lead a good life and do what is right and give up my bad habits, God will be pleased with me and receive me into heaven. That's the way most people reason today, I think. The missionary said to him, you know the babul tree? I don't know for sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but there's a picture of it. The babul tree. He said, suppose you break off from its branches a hundred or more of those nasty thorns. Then will the tree cease to be a babul tree? Certainly not, the native said to the missionary. Suppose you should apparently stop one or another or even many of your bad and evil ways and habits. You will still remain the same like the babul tree. You see, you must have an entirely new nature, not become a better person. You and I are not called to become better people by way of entering into some kind of religious relationship and having a, a form of religion that makes us a little less thorny. And if we're honest, we're thorny. And if we're honest, sometimes we're a little bit like porcupines. It's not just others who disappoint, who fall short, even other, not only others who are betrayers. You have to have an entirely new nature. You must become a new man in order to please God, and only Christ 
can give you a new heart. My heart is heavy today because for those of you who have a picture of salvation that is anything other than utter and complete and unmerited favor from God, you've been lied to. My heart is a little heavy today because for any of us who are under the false impression that our gathering in this place or, or any place like it is about essentially becoming a better person, you'll never become good enough. Not good enough to please others, not good enough to well up inside with pride and properly declare, I'm a great person. I don't know about you, but I am a really bad sinner, or really good, depending on how you want to define it. And so are you. When I came to this passage of Scripture, there are a lot of things I could have gone to. There's a lot in this passage. I committed myself, we'll see how much I hold myself to it, for the next three years, beginning this January, to following the lectionary, the Revised Common Lectionary, an encyclic pattern of reading, that if, if, if we stick to this for the next three years, and this is what I preach through, it will take us through every verse in the Gospels. Well, sometimes the lectionary gives you these big chunks of reading. Now, I could have explained to you what the broad picture and background is, the historic context. There's some really interesting stuff in this passage. We could have talked about the region, Capernaum, on the northern, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and how Jesus and his disciples almost certainly lived there for most of his ministry. It was like home base. In Israel, they call Capernaum Jesus Town because his disciples came and went from there all the time. There is one building that is almost certainly the home of Peter in, in, in that day, and there's a shrine built over it. I could have done that. Rather, I felt compelled to go right to one word, and I'm just going to share some thoughts related to one word in this verse, in this, these verses, and that is repent. Because you see what's happening in this section of Scripture is Jesus is calling those disciples, drop your nets and I'll make you fishers of men. I could have emphasized their calling. We are all called to be fishers of men. The question is how so and in what way, not if. I could have emphasized the very likely reality that unlike how this passage is often preached and taught, it's almost certain that those men had seen or heard of Jesus before. It probably wasn't so miraculous as we tend to say. Oh, Jesus said, follow me. They drop their nets and go, and then preachers preach about instantaneous obedience. Okay, it preaches. But probably they had met him or they'd seen him or they'd at least heard of him if they were willing to drop their nets and go. But what was the message that Jesus said, we're going to go out and proclaim? It says, from that day forward, he began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As contrasted with the common notions of Christian religious sentiment in our day, and the great tendency and, and, and uh, the, the overindulgence into the notion that, that religion exists somehow to just clean us up. No, the message was repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and, and 
in the New Testament, when you see that, it's Jesus proclaiming an already and not yet reality. Here's the kingdom. All the promises of the Old Testament for the coming of Messiah are fulfilled in him. And, and then we also see this present day fact that wherever we proclaim the goodness and value and worth and authenticity of the gospel, there the kingdom is present. You and I are primarily kingdom citizens passing through this earth. The message was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the title of this message is repentance isn't a bad word. I wonder if part of the reason that the word repent often makes believers and unbelievers alike uncomfortable. Don't raise your hand, but be honest with yourself. Does the word repent make you uncomfortable? Answer it internally. I don't want to see your hand go up. Repentance isn't a bad word. And it isn't the removal of thorns from the babul tree of our imperfect lives. Repentance, not the stroking of egos or flattery or self-indulgence, is the pathway of the righteous and the joyful plan of God for us. Religion isn't a trailer hooked up to the back of the vehicle of your life. Religion properly understood is the consequence of a transformed heart where we become something new and then we don't settle for the absurd notions that exist in so many churches in the mouths of so many believers. Well, that's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you were. You see, repentance and receiving of the new birth, the second birth, the new life, the, the born-again experience, that's not reserved just for those Jesus freaks in the 70s that some of you grew up around. It's not just for those, those, those flame-breathing Pentecostals down the street. The new birth is what occurs inside of our lives at that moment where we recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, like Peter confessed. And then we become something new, but then you say, wait a second, but I'm still the same old crusty curmudgeon I've always been. I'm still just as cranky. I'm still, I'm still just as vulnerable. I'm still just as judgmental. That's not because you haven't changed. If you have submitted your life to the Lord, it's because you stopped there. Repentance isn't a one-time action at an altar or Billy Graham crusade. It isn't a one-time action. It isn't a one-time thing at a VBS or at a Sunday school or, or something you signed or, or, or at, your, at your baptism or at your confirmation. It isn't like that. Repentance is a, is a lifestyle. It means, it means I submit my will to the will of God. I'm transformed. Now what do I have to do? I have to learn to live a life consistent with what I now am. There is no forgiveness without repentance either. If you and I are entertaining the false notion that somehow, somehow becoming a better person will make God accept me. No forgiveness without repentance and specifically the biblical message is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That means there is no forgiveness without sacrifice. This is a universal principle. Have you wronged someone? Why do the 12 steps work? 
where we could, we made amends for our wrongdoing. Because healing comes in on the back of the steps of repentance. Because the burden we bear for our own sin is too heavy for us to carry, either to God or to others with whom we desire to have a right relationship. But maybe repentance sounds like a bad word. Because we don't have a really clear understanding of what it is. So I zeroed in right to that word. And here are a few thoughts about its definition and a couple of thoughts of application. If you look at the Old Testament, the word there, or words, that are most often translated repent in English translations, the first one of them is the Hebrew word <laughs> necham. Now hold on, let me, say it, let me say it a little more emphatically. Necham. Necham. <coughs> necham. 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 Hey, any, what's the sound you make when you sneeze? Say it. Nah, really sneeze. Oh, you guys are some... Have you, has anyone ever heard me sneeze? I will sometimes sneeze five times. I once... Look, you can go out and look in my car. I still haven't replaced it. I once hit a solid steel mailbox with the, the passenger side rear view mirror that was brought on by a sneeze. Oh, choo! And Christina was driving behind me and she thought I'd had a stroke. Because I went... Whoom, whoom, whoom. I hit the, the mailbox, I refused to hit the brakes, I hit the ditch, and I just kept gunning it out. In a 2014 Ford Focus that was not designed for that. Do it again. Achoo! Come on, I don't make you do this kind of stuff that much. You can't get into it. Gosh darn it. Listen. If there's a real reason I'm having you do that. Who knows what the word, see if I can say it right, onomatopoeia. Who knows what that word means? Some of y'all teachers. Be ashamed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was like, you'd be ashamed of yourself, but you know. So it's a word that sounds like the thing it describes. Buzz. Say it again. Buzz. Buzz is a good example. I didn't have that one written down. That's a good example. Buzz. My favorite one is sizzle. Sizzle. It sounds... that it. Probably the sound came first, then the word is my guess. That's how this word is. In the Old Testament, necham is onomata poetic. Man, that's hard to say. Which implies to groan or to pant or to sigh. When one really grieves something and say, oh. and apparently that's what Jewish guys did back in the day. I don't know. This word is translated about 40 times in the Old Testament, and every time this particular word is describing God. When the Bible, in a few instances, more than a few instances, says he, he, he grieved over something that man had done. It means he, he almost repented of it. It broke his heart to see man fall into sin. He, it breaks his heart to see us disobey. It breaks his heart to see us make of the with God life some kind of religion that's supposed to make us better when Jesus is supposed to make us new. 
In the Old Testament, there's another word translated repent. Shub. And there's a little H on the end, which I'm incapable of adding after a B. Shub. It most generally is employed to express the scriptural idea of genuine repentance. It is used extensively by the prophets. And makes prominent the idea of a radical change in one's attitude towards sin. It even more strongly implies a radical change in our attitude towards God. Because it, like a New Testament word I'll share with you in a moment, implies a conscience, conscious moral separation and a personal decision to forsake sin and enter into fellowship with God. Shub. It means I recognize that what I'm up to ain't good. It means I recognize as a follower of Jesus that I'm not living a life consistent with who I am. Many of you know we got another basset hound, a most enjoyable and only mildly regrettable decision. Basset hounds are wonderful dogs who don't understand the word come or no. They don't understand this. The new basset hound is the most voracious eater I've ever seen. And, and to my knowledge, at least for, as best I can understand with all the dogs I've ever had, dogs are carnivorous mostly. They like meat, right? They like protein. Well, this dog will eat whatever he gets. And I watch this dog. We watch this dog eat a slice of cucumber the other day, which I believe he would refer to as a cushmusher, because it smushed all over his mouth and he never ate it and he seemed to hate every second of it, but he just couldn't stop. Now he's a hunting dog, he's designed to find rabbits and, and whatever else, and eat meat, not cushmushers. And he smushed the thing all over his mouth forever. He couldn't get enough of it, but he clearly hated it. He'd smoosh it up and spit it out. Then he'd go back to it. He couldn't stop because he's so voracious an eater. His appetite disallowed him from eating something that was even clearly inconsistent either with his palate or his design. And so we are. If you are alive in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the old has gone and the new has come. And very often we are smushing on all manner of sin for which we were not designed. It is inconsistent with our new makeup. We're not the same. And yet we refuse to let it go because we've never cultivated new appetites for the things of God. Shub. To make a personal decision to turn from that in the direction of God. And then presumably to walk in his direction. And then there's this ongoing process of sanctification that many times we get twisted with the idea of being a good person. It's not. It, it, that's a consequence of it, but that's not it. Sanctification is the ongoing process of us being changed into whose image? Into the image of Christ. The word sanctification means to be set apart for God's use. 
set apart for the use of God. In some sense, our communion plates are sanctified. The trustees all say, hallelujah, fill them up. They're sanctified. To some sense, in a proper definition way, those pews are sanctified. They're set apart for the use of God. And I know some of you. If you saw me standing on them with dirty boots, you'd get mad. That's not a ladder. It has a purpose. So do we. So you see, we're not about becoming better people. We're about turning from that in the direction of God and then marching in his direction so that we might be set apart for his use. Not to be a better person. I know some really great unbelievers, nice people, wonderful people. That isn't the point. In the New Testament, here's three words, and then I'll move towards an application and a conclusion. The term... Man, am I ever bad at Greek. I'm so much better with Hebrew. Metamelomai. If you want to know what that really sounds like, you probably ought to look it up. Or come see me later. Now, this word literally signifies to have a feeling or care, a concern or regret. This word is very close in relationship to necham. It means a feeling. It means to have a, have a feeling of regret. And you know what? Sometimes when we sin... We need to feel that feeling. Sometimes when we sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come in and we need that. There are some foods in Haiti that don't agree with my genetic composition. And sometimes I'll end up feeling very sick after eating them. Specifically, street food that I love the flavor of, but you ought not to be eating that stuff. And sometimes I'll say to God, God, this hurts so bad. I will never do this again. Until the next time that I do it. (laughs) Metamelomai literally means to have a feeling of care or concern or regret. Friends, don't ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart so much that you stop recognizing it. Because I can eat that Haitian street food and get on with my life. We can eat mushers and not realize they're not for us. As another word, metaneo. It expresses the true New Testament idea of spiritual change implied in a sinner's return to God. This term signifies to have another mind. To change the opinion or purpose with regard to sin. Have you and are you doing that? Have you changed the purpose? Or, or, or you're like, uh, like I was for a, a number of years. Man, I'm missing out on some good sin. <laughs> Maybe I ought to kick this can of repentance down the road a little further. Boy, that's a dangerous way to live. The word epistrepho is used to bring out more clearly the distinct change wrought in repentance. It is employed frequently in Acts to express the positive side of change involved in New Testament repentance or to indicate a return to God of which turning from sin is a necessary aspect. Now we're back to Nechem, right? A groaning that compels me to get away from that, to turn from that, to make a U-turn, to go in another direction. <clears throat> I 
I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if repentance feels like a bad word. I don't know if it, if, if, if it tramples on your idea of what it means to follow God in the world or, or to be a part of a church or to be a part of a religious place. I don't know if there are pet sins that are too tightly woven into who you are as a person that you don't know how to let them go, regardless of what those things are. I don't know if, if, if you or me are at a place where we want repentance to be a regular part of our discipleship, but there is no Christian discipleship without regular repentance. If the Holy Spirit illumines us that the kingdom of God is at hand, then he likewise will illumine us, convict us, crush us, lead us to a place of saying, man, I want, if I want more of God in my life, i got to make room by getting out the sin in my life. And if I am a child of God, listen, if there's not a growing hunger to be closer to my Lord, I may need to go all the way back to the beginning and say, maybe all I have is a form of religion that schooled me up in being a better person. Maybe I have fewer thorns on the tree of my life than the next guy, but am I a child of God? As evidenced by what kinds of things? A growing sanctified life. Okay. A growing hunger to be closer to the Lord. A growing hunger to look more like Jesus. A desire to continually turn to God. Years ago, a woman said to me, she said, uh, you preach too much about God making you holy. I said, probably, because I know how unholy I am. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. But I bet God could use it in a few people's lives. He said, well, here's the thing. Uh, uh, the thing you've got to grow up and wake up to. Very sweet and well-intentioned woman. Leopards don't change their spots. I thought about it for a while. I'll do this to you if I haven't done it yet. You may tell me something, and three months later, I come back and finish the conversation. And you're like, What? So I came back a while later, I said, you know, I've been thinking about it. She said, what? What are you talking about? I said, you're right, leopards don't change their spots. But what the biblical portrait of salvation is that God takes leopards and makes them lambs. They're new creations, new creatures. But I tell you, if you try to feed a lamb the thing leopards eat, he won't thrive. You and I maybe have got to learn to live lives more consistent with who we now are in Christ. And if we have not submitted ourselves initially, there's got to be some point where there's a fork in the road, friend. Because your infant baptism didn't do it. Your, your, your first communion didn't cut it. Your confirmation may have just been empty words that mom wanted to hear. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to invite you today, if you have never made that initial act of repentance, God, I want to just turn from that and in the direction of you, and I don't know what the heck that's going to bring in my life. But he does. Or stop making the excuse. Well, I'm better than the next guy. I have fewer thorns. Repentance isn't a bad word. 
and it should be a regular part of our Christian discipleship if it would be Christian discipleship. Amen.